First John chapter 4. I'll read the entire uh, chapter for us this morning. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You dear children are from God and and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. In the Library of Congress, there is a box labeled Contents of the President's Pockets on the Night of April 14th, 1865. Well, that, of course, is the night that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And there are about five things in that little box. A a handkerchief embroidered A. Lincoln, a country boy's penknife, Spectacles, a pair of them uh, in a case repaired with a string, a purse containing a $5 Confederate bill, and some old worn newspaper clippings. Interesting, the uh, clippings are all very favorable to Abraham Lincoln and talked about his great deeds. One of them reported on a speech by John Bright where he declared Abraham Lincoln to be one of the greatest men of all times. 
Now, today, thinking, of course, about Abraham Lincoln as one of the greatest men of all times, that's pretty commonplace. British statesman John Bright was right in his assessment. But in 1865, I'll remind you, millions shared a quite contrary opinion. The president's critics were fierce and many. He was in a lonely, in lonely agony as he reflected on the suffering and the turmoil of a country ripped apart, ripped to shreds by a cruel and senseless, at times, costly war. So the portrait uh, is interesting to me. I can almost see Abraham Lincoln there holding on to those newspaper clippings, reading and rereading again under the flickering flame of a candle in the Oval Office, searching for solace, comfort, and confidence. I want to ask you this morning, where, is it that, where, where do you get your confidence in this life? When, when critics take their toll and circumstances are less than ideal, where does your confidence come from? Well, as we've been studying this book of 1 John, some of you have noted how often John will use the word know. He says, I know, we know. In fact, it's used some 39 times in this book. And what he is saying to us is that there are certain things that we ought to know with a great assurance as we mature in Christ. And so in this chapter, John points out at least three ways, it seems to me, that as a Christian, I can gain in confidence. My confidence should increase as I mature. These are things are, in other words, the things that you can put in your pocket and keep close to your heart. And so look at verse, verse, verse 1. The first thing it seems to me, he says is this. He says, dear friends... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. As Christians, John says, we should have an increased confidence in our ability to judge between truth and falsehood. We can grow confident in God's truth. We should have an increased confidence in judging between that which is true And that which is false. John says there are many false prophets. Meaning Christians, there are many teachers out there that will lead you astray. This passage points out that we're not to be so gullible to believe every spirit. We are in fact to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Therefore Christians always must care about the truth. The truth, the truth. Verses 2 and 3 tell us about the primary test of truth. He says this, this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So John is telling us the primary test of truth is the deity and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the standard by which we determine right from wrong. 
What is true and what is false has everything to do with Jesus. John says, as Christians, we test the spirits. And if somebody's teaching is consistent with what Jesus taught, then it's from God. And if it's not, it's from Satan. Now, folks, a few years ago, I remember, and I'm not so old, but I am... I, I remember as a young man, the internet was just coming online, and we uh, came into being. And the truth is, we, we talked about how we as a society have entered into the information age. Information, as you know, is as accessible to more humans at, at, and more information as never before. But I've also noticed something happening in these last few years, which has changed that dynamic dramatically. The human heart is deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. Who could know it? And what we have discovered is that information can be manipulated. And that all that you read or even see is credible. With technology, videos can be manipulated. Russian bots can tweet. Anybody can write a story, true or not, and post it online. Nefarious groups can spread lies very quickly over social media. And so I believe we have moved into a new age. We have moved from the age of information to largely an age of disinformation and misinformation. And sadly, it seems to me Christians are often disproportionately fooled by conspiracies and fake news. As Christians, our Lord says we are not to bear false witness. That means we should be extremely careful in how we handle the truth or mishandle the truth. I have seen good Christians post and repost false information and wild conspiracies online. Unaware that they have been used by propaganda factories to distort and falsify information with often a political agenda behind it. I saw someone recently call discernment a, quote, holy task. And I believe as Christians we need discernment more in this age perhaps than ever before. Discernment. The, the discovery and the holding on to truth is the ability to see things for what they really are and not for what you want them to be. Our Lord said, I am the way and the truth. And so God, as his people, has not called us to be easily fooled. Gullibility is not a Christian virtue. Believing and sharing wild conspiracies and some kooks end time prophecies does not honor the Lord. Now it may make you feel better, like you're somehow in the know. But it can also end up harming others and it certainly does damage to one's witness. Because anything that is true is of Jesus. Anything that is not true is of the devil. Because he is a liar and he's been one from the beginning. And we must never as Christians be associated with falsehood. And I challenge the church today. Be careful with the truth. Lee Camp is a professor at Lipscomb University. He wrote, could it be that Jesus is Lord 
has become one of the most widespread Christian lies? Have Christians claimed the lordship of Jesus, but systematically set aside the call to obedience to this Lord? I want to say this very humbly and very carefully to you, but I often found myself witnessing men and women who call themselves Christians, who say that Jesus is Lord, but appear to my eyes to be indistinguishable from a liberal Democrat. Their truth is found in the Democratic Party, not Jesus Christ. Now, just as often, I'll witness men and women who themselves will say that Jesus is Lord, but appear to my eyes indistinguishable from modern-day conservative Republicans. The truth, their truth, is from the Republican Party and not Jesus Christ. Now listen to me, and I I realize I've been on this soapbox to some degree, but it, it, it burdens my heart for the church today. I am not asking anyone to abandon their political views, but I am challenging you this season as authentic Christians to demote them. So when we think about immigration and immigrants... Don't think liberal or conservative. We think Jesus is Lord. How would he direct us concerning that issue? How would he direct us concerning that issue? When we think about racial injustice or racial justice and equality, we don't think liberal or conservative. We think Christian. We think Jesus is Lord. How would he direct us concerning that issue? When we think about the family, or abortion, or sexual ethics and gender identity, we don't think liberal or conservative. We are swayed by one theme and one theme alone. Jesus is Lord. What would he have us do? And so our primary identity is in the truth that Jesus is Lord and we therefore use our discernment to think about that as the lens by which we see the pressing issues of our day. And in so many ways today, the church has gotten off. And there's a price to pay. Our witness has been harmed. And I have come to realize that when I submit all these things under the rulership of Jesus, I often find that I'm forced to think differently. The cross changes my perspective. The world says we need to win. Jesus says my kingdom come. And often that means sacrifice and humility. And it always means caring for others above myself. You say, we, we say all the time, we're the children of God. We say scripture is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We say Jesus is Lord. But the challenge I have for each of us this morning is, do we mean it? Do we believe it? And so how are my thoughts, my words, my votes informed because I belong to another kingdom? I am a citizen under the kingship of Jesus. And as Christians, we grow into our confidence that Jesus is the truth. And he and he alone leads us to the truth. He is the foundation of all truth. And we find life in him. Are you with me? Okay. 
Now, secondly, not only should we be more confident as Christians in discovering God's truth from falsehood, but we should also, it seems to me, John points out, become increasingly confident in God's love. John points this out. He says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever loves, lives in love, lives in God and God in them. John says, we've come to know God's love. John reminds us of the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And that is what gives us the capacity then. We're kind of plugged in now to love others. God is the source of all love. Now I look around our world today and you are right there with me. Our world is desperate for love. I don't have to tell you we have been wrecked been violence across our, our, our communities. And we talk about the need for getting along with each other. But I saw a beautiful demonstration of love yesterday. You know we had 30 or 40 folks from our church come out and Help prep for painting the Greater New Beginning, Missionary Baptist Church in Slavic Village. Now I want you to think about the contrast there. Because all around our country today, in so many cities, because of racism and hatred and injustice and, and, and just fomented anger, people are burning buildings and tearing them down. That's what's going on. That's what's getting the headlines. But because of Christ, a group of people decided we're going to make a neighborhood a little more beautiful. Now, that won't get the headlines, but that's the truth. And those are the things that always make the biggest difference. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who participated. It was just a joy-filled opportunity, and I loved it. The Lord gave us great weather, great uh, safety. We had a great time. We're not finished yet. In a couple weeks, uh, what, two weeks from yesterday, we're going to be back at it, actually painting the building. And uh, uh, we could still use a lot of folks' help, uh, especially those that don't mind getting on a ladder. I'm a little sore today. I don't know if I'll do this again, but uh, if, if you can help us, we could certainly use you. But yesterday we saw the evidence of another kingdom. We saw God's love shine. Jerry Clowers is a Christian comedian. He said one night he went to his son's football game. His son was a field goal kicker. It got down to the final seconds of the game and his son went out to kick the final field goal to win the game. And he said, you know, however, his son hooked the kick. He didn't score and his team lost. Well, when that happened, the guy in front of him, about five rows down, started yelling all kinds of cruel things, obscenities toward his boy. How incompetent, how much of a loser, how stupid he was, and on and on it went. Well, the game finally ended, and Jerry went over to that man and said, Sir, Jesus Christ just saved your life. And the guy said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, because if I wasn't a Christian, I'd kill you right now. <laughs> Friends, when we come to know the love of God, it changes us. And, and yeah, sometimes it, it restrains our anger, but he propels us into practicing love toward other people. Verse 19 says it simply this way, we love because he first loved us. 
Well, there's a third area that John points out that we can gain increasing confidence in. We not only have increasing confidence in God's truth, we have increasing confidence in God's love, but thirdly, we also have an increasing confidence in God's salvation, the very promise of eternal life. Listen to John again. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Confidence on the day of judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things that have been done in the body, whether good or bad. You know what I've come to believe? I think that, that that is truly what terrifies people about death. It's not leaving the world. It's not facing some unknown. What terrifies us is dying and having to stand before a God of the universe who knows everything about us. I think that that brings a terror to many people. The Bible talks about people who are in bondage to the fear of death. For instance, in Acts 24, Felix is the Roman governor, and he asks Paul to preach to him. And Paul preaches about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. The Bible says that Felix trembled. Now, here was a very powerful, influential man, but he was terrified of judgment. But as we grow in Christ... As, as, as people who have accepted Christ, we don't fear judgment anymore. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So let's say one Friday night, maybe it's about 9.30 or 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, somewhere around there. You had some visitors over your house and you decided you wanted to just bring them over to the church and show them the new facility. Let's say that you were just really interested in them seeing what we have here. But you come here and you realize no one is here, the doors are locked, but you just keep walking around and suddenly you find a door that's unlocked, so you walk in. Well, I get a little alert on my phone that one of the cameras has picked up a, a human figure and I tune in and I can see that there are people in the church and maybe they're not supposed to be there. There's an intruder there. Now, are you worried because you technically are breaking and entering? Probably not. I probably won't call the police as long as you agree to put a little extra in the offering on Sunday. Why? Because you know me, and I know you. It's a different thing altogether if I didn't know you. You see, the more you know God, the more intimacy you've developed with him, the more you understand his grace, the less we fear judgment and wrath. We know him. Do you know him this morning? It's not because we haven't done anything wrong. But we've come to know him. We know that he adopted us into his family. We know his promises. He loves us. And he wants us to be confident in what he has done for us. 1 John 5.11 says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Know this. God has given you eternal life. And this life is in his son. 
God doesn't want us to be uncertain about his character and his promises. Yet the truth is, I find that not everybody is confident. If they were to die today, they aren't certain what would happen to them. And I think there are three reasons that I can think of right now. First, I think some aren't confident because they've really never made a personal decision to follow Christ. Maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe they've attended the church for years upon years, but they themselves have never said yes to God's gift of salvation through his son. They've never repented of their sins. They've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Listen, salvation does not come to us because our our parents knew God. And salvation does not come to us because our spouse knows God. Salvation comes to us when we can declare, I know God. And I've said yes to his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. I've repented of my sins and I've made a decision to follow him. I think secondly, maybe, some aren't confident because eh, they really haven't had a dramatic conversion experience. You know, some people have some grand testimony. You know, they, they share, and, and boy, it brings tears to your eyes as they talk about what their life was like before Christ. And they had a dramatic moment when there were lights and God spoke and, you know, they saw a puppet show and at the curtain call, it just, it just all came together and it was wonderful and great and, and just so redeeming and, and encouraging. And you look at your life and you think, well, wait a minute, I, I didn't get a puppet show or I didn't get to hear a voice or I didn't sense the lights. Am, am I really a Christian? I just tell you this, remember this, there is no emotional standard in Scripture that you're supposed to have to accept Christ as Savior. Truth is, you don't have to shed a tear or get goosebumps. You just have to know, yes, I've said yes to Jesus as my Savior. Paul, boy, he had a dramatic experience. You remember, he saw the light, he got knocked off his donkey. But the Ethiopian eunuch, also in Acts, was just riding in his chariot. He heard the word of God. He responded and said, yes. He said, here's some water. Can I get baptized right here? So we don't have to gauge our salvation by someone else's experience. We determine it by God's word and what God has said. Now, there's a third reason that people aren't confident in their salvation, and it's this. They still have difficulty with sin. Most of us don't have any trouble believing that when we come to Christ, he can forgive us our sin and wash it away. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But some of us struggle with, after we become Christians... What about those sins that we have committed, could keep committing? Now, if you read this book, you recognize, no doubt, the Apostle John says we should not sin. He says Christians should not sin with God's power. We may overcome sin. 
Years ago, when Mary and I were first married, I was in seminary. We didn't have a lot of money back then, and things were pretty tight economically. And so on my first birthday uh, that we were together as husband and wife, Mary went out and got me a fairly expensive computer game. When I opened it, I was surprised. I was rather shocked, and I asked her, how, how could you afford this? She said, well, I put it on the credit card. And I realized, you know, I'm going to end up paying for my own gift here. It's the way it's been. You know, it occurs to me that that's the way a lot of people think about the Christian life. God gives us this gift of salvation. We're saved by grace, and we think, however, after we become a Christian, now we've got to pay for it. If we don't live a perfect life, we're not going to get it. We're going to have to pay for it. We've got to make up for it. But the gospel is this. The great news is that God has forgiven all of our sins. All of it by his grace. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Perfect love casts out fear. And so even... Those sins are covered by the grace and blood of Jesus Christ. That's good news. <laughs> it's free. Do you have confidence this morning in God's truth, in God's love, and in God's salvation? Philip Brooks uh, was a bishop. He's most famous for writing the the, uh, song, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. He was seriously ill, and he requested that no friends come to see him. But an acquaintance of his named Robert Ingersoll, who was a famous anti-Christian propagandist, came to see him, and Philip Brooks decided to let him come in. Ingersoll said, I appreciate this so very much especially when you aren't letting any of your close friends see you. Bishop Brooks responded, Oh, I'm confident of seeing them in the next world, but this may be my last chance to see you. (laughs) You confident this morning? Are we going to see each other again no matter what? Make sure that circle's not broken. If you haven't accepted Christ, if you aren't living in that truth, if you aren't basking in that love, if you have fear in your heart, I challenge you to grow in confidence today in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, precious Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your gospel, for the promise revealed through your word, for the the very person of Jesus Christ who demonstrated his love for us that even while we were yet sinners, you died for us and that, Lord, we can live in you and have peace with you. Lord, we thank, we are so grateful that you have 
you're challenging us to be people of love. You're challenging us to renew our confidence in you as Lord. And Lord, I just pray this morning we would submit to you. And that God, you would have your way in our church. And you would have your way in the hearts of every individual who's listening to my voice right now. Oh God, if they do not know you as their Savior, would you speak to their hearts? Renew in their minds, Lord, this, this perfect promise that you've given us. And may they say yes. Oh Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I choose this day to follow you. May I serve you as an obedient servant. For you are Lord, you are worthy, you are a gracious and good God. Lord, one day I will stand before you. And Lord, because Jesus Christ is my advocate, the perfect righteous one, his righteousness will cover me and I will be with you forever. Oh God, how we thank you for this promise and hope. May we, your God's people, be confident this morning in that truth. I pray this in Jesus' name.